Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. Well, good morning, church. Pastor Trent here, and I'm excited to say good morning again, because from here on out, we are actually going to go back to meeting in the morning, Um, and we're not gathering this weekend, a Memorial Day weekend, but next Sunday, we'll be meeting 10 a.m. in the park, Um, so I'm thrilled for that and excited to again gather for worship um, on Sunday morning. So listen, this last week, um, I had the, the joy, the honor of um, attending a wedding and officiating a wedding. And uh, it'd been a while, actually, since I'd been to one. Um, but the, the fun thing about an event like that is that everyone is dressed up and looking their best. But there's a buzz of excitement about the place. And that's always true, but it, it seemed especially so this week at this wedding. And while I was there, I was also acutely aware of, of how infrequently I've been in spaces like that over the last year. I mean, social distance um, makes it pretty hard to meet new people. Um, and larger events were pretty much off the table for months at a time this last year. And one of the things you realize, again, in a setting like that, where there are a lot of new people and there um, those you don't know, is that people naturally are putting their best foot forward. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's actually quite fitting Um, folks did the same thing to Jesus as well. You can see it all over the gospel according to Mark, this book that we've been studying over the last several months. Um, But here's here's the deal. When when people came to Jesus and put their best foot forward, Jesus welcomed them, but he never let people stay there. He was always in pursuit of more depth, more honesty, more relationship, and so much so at times that, that Jesus would just go ahead and, and turn that person inside out because he sees you and he wants to make sure that you see you. So the passage that we're going to study today is full of irony. It is um, right here in the passion narrative, the final moments of Jesus's life. And we are going to look at the trial of the king. But interestingly, at the king's trial, it's really the others who are under examination. They're testing him, but in the process, he's turning them inside out. I want to show you this with a couple of different characters here in the scene. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 14 again. I'm going to start us off in verse 53. Mark chapter 14, verse 53. And rather than reading the whole thing at once, I'll read a section by a section and then walk you through the way in which Jesus turns things inside out. The first thing that we see is that he turns the priesthood, particularly the high priest, inside out. Look with me at verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And as he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire, Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. 
Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he, Jesus, remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and strike him, saying to him, Prophecy. And the guards received him with blows. Now, the chief priests have had it out for Jesus for quite some time. And as they've been watching, observing his ministry, they've collected a whole list of things that they have against him. The first of which, of course, would be that he's a false prophet. He's been leading the people of God astray and teaching things that are not true. The second, of course, is this temple disruption that's happened. He's come into their their corner, their their place, and turn tables over, flipping the whole economic system, the whole operation on its head, revealing some of the sham of it that's keeping people away from worshiping God rather than facilitating the worship of God in prayer. But then, not only that, there is these claims that Jesus has been making, a bit veiled at times, to authority. Of course, he's talking about the Messiah, and people are wondering, is he the Christ, the Messiah, which is, of course, a royal title. And now, under the cover of night, with false witnesses and conflicting testimonies all around, they get to see God's anointed. Right Here it is. It, it, the darkness is fitting. There's so much that is wrong in this scenario. They can't even do this kind of operation and trial in the middle of the day. They have to do it in the wee hours of the night. But they can't, in this moment, convict him. They can't even get two testimonies, which the law of Moses would tell them they needed, to agree with one another so that they could bring a charge against him that would stick. They can't even convict him in their own court, in the cover of darkness, by their own power. Jesus has to offer himself up. And so the high priest says, are you, are you the Christ, son of the blessed? Interestingly, in the original language in Greek, right, this is the same phrase, word for word, that Peter uses to say, you are the Christ. Very different emphasis in those statements between the high priest and between Peter. But here Jesus responds to him. And there is no way the high priest or those around there could have anticipated the explosiveness of Jesus' response. Because in responding to this question, Jesus goes, oh, okay, okay, we want to talk about false prophecy. We want to talk about the temple. We want to talk about um, this sort of royal authority. Why don't we just get right to the heart of my identity? Who am I? And Jesus, to answer the question, 
pulls together two Old Testament passages that are so laced with the material for explosion that it takes them by surprise. He grabs Psalm 110 which he's already talked about in the temple, speaking of Jesus being the Lord of King David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. And then he combines that in this same language of Daniel 7, this prophecy about the king who would come, that he, that would be a king that would be everlasting and whose dominion would have no end. It was this royal figure, even divine figure of God's kingdom. And Jesus Jesus smashes them together to create an incredible effect. At last, scholar Tom Wright says, the masks are off. The secrets are out. The cryptic sayings and the parables are left behind. The Son of Man stands before the official rule of Israel, declaring that God will prove him in the right and the court in the wrong. What's going on here? Though Jesus is on trial, he is by his very presence turning the priesthood inside out. The priesthood has put their best foot forward, right? As the religious, as the devout of their day. But Jesus turns that inside out to help you see what it really is because their passion, veiled by religion, is but dog-eat-dog competition, Right? Their protection of Israel, veiled by religion, is but envy and deception. And so here it is for, for you that see yourself as a person spiritually passionate, as committed, and as devout. What could be seen if Jesus turned you inside out? Oh, we need Jesus, fam. We need Jesus because we can do things for God with hearts that are not so godly. The priests are turned inside out so that they may be seen in contrast to what they should be as those who were to teach and lead others to God. Now, now here they are shown as those to be rejecting and leading others astray from God in their midst. But not only is the priesthood turned inside out, so is our boy Peter. Peter is turned inside out. He's up next. Here's verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again Peter denied it. In a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he, he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Now remember, of course, what has happened previously. Just in the um, preceding scenes, 
Peter had said in this incredible bravado, even though they all fall away, I will not. But Jesus warns him saying, you will this night before the rooster crows twice, deny me three times. But emphatically, verse 31 of chapter 14 says, if I must die with you, Peter, Peter says, I will not deny you, Jesus. And then, of course, in the next scene, Jesus is praying with agony in the garden, saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he comes, Jesus, after a season of prayer, back to see his main three sleeping. And he says to Peter, Simon, are you still asleep? Could you not watch with me one hour? He can't even call him Peter anymore, which is the new name that Jesus has given to him. He says, Simon, you're acting like the old you. Could you, could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not into, enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. But isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth that when you and I do not pray, when you and I do not anticipate temptation, we begin acting like the old us rather than the new us that Jesus has made, right? We begin acting like Simon when we have already been called to be Peter. But Peter, here, Peter has put his best foot forward as the leader, the loyal he is the lover of Jesus. Peter's best foot forward, of course, is fronting with love. But here it is, shown to be on the inside, filled with fear. Jesus said, this is my calling. This is my purpose to go to the cross, to give myself as a ransom. And Peter's standing in the way. Peter, by his own fear, can't let that happen to Jesus, which is understandable. You wouldn't want anything like that to happen to your best friend. But, but, G, but Peter says, no, this won't happen to you. He's afraid of the, the future that Jesus is painting for him, the future that's now coming upon them both. Peter fronts with love, but there's a lot of fear in his heart. And, and here he is in this courtyard, angrily responding to these mild suggestions that he is associated with Jesus. He fronts with this anger. But it's not really anger, is it? There's a sadness here. There's a sadness here because Peter is losing something and he's not willing to say it. Jesus knows because he's concerned for Peter. And in one of the other gospels, it says that in this moment where Peter denies him, Jesus looks and catches the gaze of Simon Peter. And he knows that only when Peter embraces weakness will he become strong. Because by covering his fear and sadness, Peter is actually still controlled by his fear and sadness. Watch this. Peter, Peter had to get real before he could become the rock. Peter had to get real before he could become the rock, which is what his name means, Peter. King Jesus, listen, he isn't after you, and he wasn't after Peter being strong on the outside, but hollow on the inside. Have you avoided being real? Because if you hide the real you from those close to you, you will never become the true you. Peter is turned inside out 
so that Jesus can start to change him from the inside out. He was and now is again acting like Simon. But redemption is coming. And it's coming through the way of the cross because Jesus wants for Peter a new name and not just a new name on the outside, but a new heart and a new life. And he wants it for you too. The priesthood is on full display. Peter is now filled with despair. And here comes Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate is turned inside out. Look with me. This is verse 1 of chapter 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away to be delivered over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, remember it was Passover, at the feast, he used to, re- used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the, in the insurrection, there was a man named Barabbas. And the crowd came up, and began to ask Pilate to do the same as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And the Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Okay. Pilate seems here amazed at Jesus. Right? He questions Jesus. Who are you? Are you the king of the Jews? And then he questions Jesus again. Do you have nothing to say of all of these accusations, all of the charges they bring against him? And Pilate perceives in the chief priests that it's envy, of course, that they have of Jesus. And that's why they've brought Jesus to Pilate to be condemned. But here we have, as it were, Pilate putting his best foot forward as the considerate politician. He's interested in Jesus, so interested in Jesus that he's actually amazed at the responses and the containment, the self-control that Jesus possesses. But Pilate fronts with an interest in Jesus and then is revealed, turned inside out, to be merely interested in self. He fronts, puts his best foot forward of admiration, regard for Jesus. But in the end, who does he regard? The crowd to satisfy them. Though he's intrigued by Jesus, Pilate will ultimately dismiss Jesus. And sadly, the gospel writer Mark knows that some of his readers will do the same. And sadly, I know as a pastor that some of you listening will do the same. Jesus 
is interesting. I mean, that's one of the things that I've been saying throughout our study of the gospel of Mark, that if you want to get to know Jesus, if you want to come to know the real Jesus, this is a book to study. But the longer that you put the king on trial and the more time you stand in his presence, the more opportunity he has to turn you inside out. Because as we see here in these moments of his trial, Jesus is aiming for them and Jesus is aiming for you to see the real you so that you might see your real need for the cross and its king. Because Jesus, the real Jesus, had all authority. And Pilate, as Jesus said elsewhere, couldn't even touch him if power weren't given to him. The real Jesus was going to give himself as a ransom. And so here we have it. That not only is everyone else, but Jesus himself is turned inside out. But rather than shown like everyone else to be a person at discord where the outside and the inside don't match, Jesus is shown in his integrity that, that what he's been saying on the outside, he, he can produce from the inside. And even though he's made to appear as a rebel and a robber, Mark turns Jesus inside out for us to see, for all to see, to show us that he is the true prophet, that he is the true king, that he is the real temple, and that his body and that building will be destroyed. And now, now is the hour he will give himself as a ransom for many. But even though Jesus is giving himself, so far, if you look at the characters, there is only one who seems ready to receive the gift. I mean, we give Peter a hard time. We give Simon some trouble, and he's, he's having a bit of struggle here. But he is, in this text, the only one who gets real enough to receive the gift of being turned inside out. Because the rest presume to stand above Jesus. But Jesus, we see when he interacts with Peter, and Peter gets turned inside out, Peter gets low. Let me take it to you. This is verse 72. Immediately the rooster crows a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he, Simon Peter, broke down and wept. Jesus has turned him inside out. And his emotions are on full display. Emotionally, he breaks down. But I, I would beg to bet that he runs away from that scene and he physically falls down as well. Because no longer can he or will he push aside his sadness and his fear. What's on the inside has been turned out for all to see and for himself to see. The gaze of Jesus upon Peter has allowed Simon to see Simon so that by the cross he might become Peter. This turning inside out is what allows the threefold denial to become a threefold restoration. In John's gospel, Jesus asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And at this moment, to Peter, it looks like Jesus' ministry is done. But the truth, the reality is it's just begun. 
The real work is ahead. The real ransom is coming. Even when it appears that King Jesus is captured, he's still in control, choosing to go to the cross. So that like Peter, we might have salvation and we might have the maturation that only his kingdom can bring. Father, we pray that just as you, by your presence, and even you, when you appear to be on trial, can turn people inside out, that you would do the same for us. Oh, it's un- it is uncomfortable. But it's so needed for us to see ourselves the way that you see us and for us to become the people that you've made us to be. I pray that you, even in these moments, as people listen, as people reflect, that you would help them by your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit work now, to show people their selves, to bring them to that place of being real so that they, like Peter, could become a rock. Help us to be real so that we might receive the gift of your ransom. And Jesus, I pray that you would bring about salvation and you would bring about maturation, the kind that only your kingdom can bring, the kind that only the cross could bring, the kind that only your death and only your resurrection could bring. New name, a new life, coming not just on the outside, but flowing from the inside, from a new heart. It's for your name, it's for your glory that I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.